1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: You didn't have 15 or 20 churches in one town. The church was known by the city it was in because it was likely the only church there and there was nowhere to go. And some of these churches are still teaching the truth. They're still being faithful to the name, although they are unfaithful in other aspects of their covenant with Christ, their marital covenant with Christ. And so he's saying, just hang on and hang in. Be faithful to me. I can
0: see the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry. The answer for all my life.
1: Welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Then Laodicea, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, realizing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Inevitabil- inevitable, it's inevitable that lukewarmness, that a loss of focus, that a loss of attention leads to a certain level of cluelessness, which you see manifested here in his comment in his charge in the violation of Laodicea. Laodicea reminds us that complacency and compromise and tolerance of that which should not be tolerated, embracing the path of least resistance, being lukewarm, is uh, a deluding thing. So looking at all of this, what we see here are violations of God's will, violations of God's word. Apparently in the bulk of these churches, the gospel is still being taught. They show loyalty to Christ. They labor for the kingdom, but on their own terms. And we know that by what they allow. They allow things that he wouldn't allow because they want to get along. They want to be nice, perhaps. Who knows? And what happens here is nobody is saying this is wrong. The leaders of that church, the angel of that church is not saying stop it. You have no business teaching this. And you heard me say this before. It's not what's taught that often harms us, but what is neglected. And they are neglecting. They've neglected to hold themselves and their teachers and their people accountable. And so you have people teaching things that should not be taught. These churches are cautionary tales. Pergamum, let's take a look at this. But I have a few things against you, verse 14, chapter 2. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, so also you have some there who hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. What we see here is a morally and consequently doctrinal compromise in the church. Balaam and Nicolaitans are two sides of the same coin. They both advocated something that was forbidden. Apparently it was immoral behavior, sexually immoral. Apparently it was Also something that had to do with eating uh, food sacrificed to idols, which would cause the weaker believers to stumble and and would also compromise their integrity. People look at Balaam and the Nicolaitans and these are like shiny objects that people want to obsess over, but all, all we need to know in the discourse is that what is being taught is forbidden. If you want to know more about Balaam's teachings, you can go to Numbers 25, one through three, and Numbers 31, 15, and 16. If you want to know about the Nicolaitans, look at the context. There's not a lot of agreement uh, and and, uh, documentation as to what they taught, but because it's associated with the teachings of Jezebel, In the the wider context, in Balaam, we know that what was taught was wrong, and apparently it was some sort of antinomian, uh, uh, live how you want to live, do what you want to do kind of teaching. They were believed to be a Christian sect that advocated the accommodation of pagan religions, maybe some syncretism, maybe some sexual immorality. But the point is that what was going on in these churches was they were allowing people to teach who shouldn't teach and people to teach what should not be taught. And they just sort of took it easy. Which brings us to Thyatira and Jezebel. Again, Thyatira is compromised by having a scripturally unqualified teacher who is a self-declared teacher. She called herself a prophetess. Prophet That role of prophet or prophetess speaks to those who Forthtell who preach the word of God and those who foretell who declare what God has not yet revealed who reveal it that's what she says she is but they know you can tell by her actions that she's got no business being in that role and so he says I have this against you he's speaking to that church to those people to those leaders you tolerate you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach See, the permissive church is always a dying church, because they'll allow almost anything in the name of uh, being broad, in the name of inclusivity, in the name of being uh, uh, wide and 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 culturally relevant. But this type of permissiveness, this type of silence, leads to compromise, drift, dying, and death. It's a spiritual form of adultery. And in the passage, he refers to her and her followers as sexually immoral, as adulterers and adulteresses. You can't help but miss it. He talks about her children born that are going to die, perhaps. They are offspring, maybe, of mixed doctrine, of a non-gospel. I don't want to... uh, spiritualize the text because we want to say what does the text say what does the text mean what shall we do what we see here is the result of her teaching leads to death which brings us to number four the consequences and he goes with each church here Pergamum therefore repent if not I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth that doesn't sound good and I'm reminded that with war there's often and always collateral damage Thyatira, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, those who embrace her teaching, those who perhaps committed literal adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. The wages of sin is death, right? Unless, here's the grace, here's the mercy, here's the kindness, they repent of her works. And then in verse 23, he says, and I will strike her children dead. I mean, that doesn't sound good. He's coming there. It's not going to be good. If they do not wake up and snap out of it, if they do not get back on mission, back on focus, if they do not get back to a doctrinally, ethically, uncompromised condition when they know that they're wrong, it's not going to be good. And this striking her children dead... Some people think it alludes back to David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and that child died. Some commentators think it has to do with the fact that those who come to Christ, who come to faith with that non-gospel that she's teaching, that permissive doctrine aren't saved at all. They are gospel inoculated. They are deceived into thinking that they're okay. And so they will perish and then look what he says, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Basically, you can't let this stuff go on. And this whole thing about the eyes, you know, that burn with fire, he's looking into the heart and the mind of the people. He sees what's there. And he, and everyone is going to know when he acts that Everybody who has a hand in willful, willing sin is going to experience the consequences of God's loving reproof and discipline. And then we get to the bottom of the heap here in terms of consequences, and that's Laodicea. And so, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I mean,. You just can't ignore God. You know, Pastor Chris taught about the glorified Christ in Revelation chapter one. This is what the Christ normally looks like. This is how he is. What you see here in Revelation two through three is not the Christ of the culture today. A blonde-haired, blue-eyed, always tearful, weak, wimpy, tolerant, impotent, morally lax savior. This is a king. This is a conqueror. He came once as a savior. He returns as a judge. And today's communion Sunday and we celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. This is the one who's coming. And does any of this sound good? This compromise, this tolerance, this Tolerance for sin, it all produces terrible results. And as we studied already, church matters matter to God and they must matter to us. And while he does not expect perfection, he does expect faithfulness. Not moral and spiritual adultery, but fidelity. Fidelity to his word. And when you choose something less than fidelity... When you try to serve two masters, the culture and the Christ, you're going to love one and hate the other. There's going to be a continuum and a decline over time that leads to death unless somebody snaps out of it. And so these consequences include hardship, tribulation, literal and spiritual death, expulsion, you see that in Pergamum. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. The imagery says it all. Judged. Or Thyatira. Behold, I will come and throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, and I will strike her children dead, and I will give to each of you who sat there and let this happen according to your works. And of course, Laodicea. So, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Complacency kills. It kills churches. It kills ministry. It even kills the descendants of those who allowed it because, because they get something eventually less than the gospel. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week with Sardis. Now, when you look at this, it's really hard to read. And in our culture, We wanna say, well, what about mercy? What about grace? What about his goodness? What about his gentleness? What about his kindness? That is all that we've seen here, is mercy, grace, and kindness. Because again and again, he's gonna call them to repentance. He's going to encourage them. Which brings us to number five. Verse 17 in Pergamum, right? Revelation 2:17 He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers I will give some hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it Pergamum is called to repent and return to him and the manna hearkens back to the manna of the Exodus where God sustained the children of Israel in the desert And it says he will give them hidden manna. Commentators suggest that that is the Holy Spirit to sustain them in a fallen, broken world. In an imperfect church. And the white stone, the white stone in history was, uh, in Olympic history, was something that those who successfully competed in the Olympics, maybe they didn't win the The crown, they received this stone that indicated they had done something. They had been faithful to their charge, so to speak. And so this indicates the fact that these people were faithful. Thyatira, the message here is for true Christ followers. Verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my work until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. Speaks to the final judgment, speaks to the end of the millennium also speaks possibly to the millennial kingdom where they rule with him. Now, when you read this with Thyatira, some people say, well, why don't, why didn't people leave those churches? You know, know, to the ones who remain true to me, I don't lay any other burden other than just stay faithful until I get there, until I return. But you have to remember the era, the context of all this. You didn't have 15 or 20 churches in one town. The church was known by the city it was in because it was likely the only church there and there was nowhere to go. And some of these churches are still teaching the truth. They're still being faithful to the name, although they are unfaithful in other aspects of their covenant with Christ, their marital covenant with Christ. And so he's saying, just hang on and hang in. Be faithful to me. And then we come to Laodicea. Be zealous, he says. Be blessed. Listen to me. You can do this. He says in verse 19, chapter 3. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. He says, repent and return to me. You just see this over and over again. You see see him calling to these people and saying, snap out of it. Just return to me, be zealous. I read something this week, it says that God is on the throne, therefore live accordingly. And what I see here is when churches do God's business their own way and they forget God, that he's on the throne, they fail to live and to minister accordingly and it always leads to harm. But God always calls to them. He says it doesn't have to be this way. Be zealous and repent. You you see, even with, with the false prophetess Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, but she refused. You see him saying, I stand and knock at the door. We see a persistent call to receive the mercy that he's going to give, that he's willing to give, grace upon grace upon grace, if they will only but turn and return to him. So what do you do with all of this? I think you have to look at this and and consider the implication that a lack of zeal for God leads to death. Complacency leads to compromise, to tolerance, to decline, and to death. Dying is a process that begins subtly in churches in those days and these days. I mean, all I have to do is look around us. There's this loss of steam, sort of, where they kind of back off a little bit instead of pressing on. There's this, oh, let's not get hung up on doctrine because doctrine divides. There's this compromise where, you know, hey, let's be more like the culture. We don't want to be too hot. Let's let's calm down. Let's cool down to room temperature. Well, you know that a body at room temperature is a dead body, right? It's not 98.6. And so you see this dying process. And what adultery is to marriage, compromise is to the church because we are the bride of Christ and we are to be faithful to him. There's no room for scripturally uncom- unqualified teachers who would create in time pseudo Christians who believed a pseudo gospel. So we have to be careful to really look at ourselves and our church and our ministry carefully. So let me give you some suggestions for application. Call this a, a spiritual MRI or a spiritual x-ray where we we examine ourselves. We take the photo and we look at ourselves. And we ask ourselves, is this happening to us? Has this happened to us? Is there anything we as a church need to snap out of? Have we become complacent? Is there a temptation just to kind of back off and not be such whatever? Second, one of the ways to tell is you look at your heart and you look at your ministry is do you think more about your preferences than God's preferences? Are you afraid what people will think about your commitment to Christ and his word? Or are you more concerned with what Christ thinks? And how are your diagnostic skills? Number three, are you numbed and dumbed down like Laodicea? Have you become so lukewarm and so lethargic that you've lost your zeal, that you're neither hot nor cold but you come in here every week and listen to the sermon and then just leave? And how are your spiritual disciplines or your reading skills or your ministry skills? Are you in the word to maintain a sensitivity to where your heart is or may be drifting or may have drifted from? Keep those diagnostic skills sharp. And finally, how are you? Are you hungry for God and his word? Are you on fire, aflame, grieving for the culture, or are you lukewarm? Is your love growing cold? These are things we have to challenge ourselves with. I have to challenge myself with. So, in a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's table, and these are things we need to think about. We need to think about the Christ who we've seen pictured here. Because this is the Christ who's returning, this is the Christ who walks among his people. This is Jesus. This isn't the image that the culture has, this is the image that the Bible gives us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, you you know our strengths and weaknesses. You know that our frames are but dust. And Lord, we know that we can't be perfect, and we know that you know that, but we also know that we can be faithful, that we can be characterized by a faithfulness and a habitual desire to do your will your way, however imperfectly. But Father, never let us back off. Never let us back down and compromise. Never let our hearts grow cold, Lord. Help us to remain focused on the calling with which we've been called, not to try to serve two masters, Father, but to excel still more for a merciful, loving God who never leaves his people in the dark, who never leaves us or himself without witness, and who calls us to return when we wander afar. Pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org.